Welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. Catherine Rubino just interrupted me. Uh, did Williams you miss is, me? Chris Williams is also I did. here. I did. There you go. There you uh, go. I, I, well, I'm jumping right into the conversation, Joe. You know, move it or lose it. I got nothing for you, friend. I don't understand. Like, we're we're 18 seconds in. There was no like. It wasn't like I was. Life comes at you fast. Well, anyway, we're all from above the law, and we're here as usual to talk about the exciting news in the legal industry of the last week. But without further ado, we begin as always with a little bit of small talk, which we. Well, well, we we mark we mark small talk uh, so that people know that we're in the small talk phase of the show. <laughs> do, do we? <laughs> we do. How do we do that? You're just going to interrupt me. With what did you do effect? without me here to interrupt for two weeks? Huh? It was so glorious. <laughs> it was glorious. Uh, <laughs> you love this. You mm. love pissing me off. I can't lie. Yeah. All right. There's a, there's so that's a thin line between love and loathe. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the um that's a so we're in the small talk section. Anybody have anything interesting to say in a non-legal capacity? Well, I hosted a barbecue this weekend. Nice. Uh, which was which is great fun. Um Thanks but, for the invite. Well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you do live in a different state and all that. Uh but okay, okay. I managed to burn myself for the second I've I've barbecued twice this summer, and both times I have burned myself. Previous to this, I have never burned myself while barbecuing, and I am deeply concerned that this is a new trend for me, one I dislike intensely, and I think I need to, like, invest in more burn cream. Yeah, or get, like, those longer gloves, like, heat-resistant gloves or something when you're trying to do this. Maybe, but, like, that was the thing. It wasn't like, oh, I was, like flipping a burger and I burnt myself or something like that. It was like I accidentally, both times, different different days, different weeks, I just like brushed up against Maybe the it's very a design. hot. Maybe it's a design flaw. Have we considered suing? How about that, I, huh? No, I okay. haven't. Again, because I have gone... I've yeah, had no, many years without burning myself. <laughs> it appears to be a user-based phenomenon, yeah. not a fundamental problem with it. With a barbecue, but yeah, I don't. It's really um, a bit of a frustration, and it's on the side of my arm, which I sleep on my side, and my arm is usually underneath my head, so it just I couldn't, and that was very upsetting all night long. Here's my impression of Catherine trying to do basic cooking. <laughs> I'll have is that you know, a gender reveal? <laughs> I am a very talented cook. That mm. is the truth. Whether or not I burn myself, my guests were pleased. Yeah, fair enough. This did not impact my ability to get the food on the table in a timely and delicious manner because I am undeterred. Fair enough. Well, uh, we're wishing you uh, speedy recovery from this. Chris, how was your weekend? I, I don't care how Joe's one was is what I've learned. I think that's fair. <laughs> oh, speaking of uh, Burns, the conversation's heating up. Uh, no. uh, you know that thing where like you introduce yourself at a party at, like maybe like a work event you don't want to be at but you feel like you have to because you're afraid if you're not you might get laid off or something and somebody asks like your interests or hobbies and like your mind goes blank and there's just like the the monkeys clapping with the uh, with the symbol <laughs> yeah. i don't remember what i've done the last week <laughs> amazing um, but i did have some good thai food I had some good okay. thai food Oh, and uh, I watched JoJo's. I'm rewatching JoJo's up to part uh, right. four. I uh, like the yeah. middle of part four. 
and uh, some good stuff happened. I know y'all listen for the legal commentary, but fuck that. Go watch JoJo's, no. you know? <laughs> like, it's, it's great. It's great. All the cool kids are doing it. We did get an email from the last time you were talking about it from a listener who is asking questions about JoJo. So you, oh shit, you look do, at that! Look at that! I should, I should have, probably respond, but we we, I, we well, I responded you. on your behalf. I I knew the answer to the question. So oh no, but what yeah. was the question? I just wanted to know. Uh, it's not really important. Um, I don't think you're getting the point of small talk, Joe. Like, <laughs> yeah. This is literally when we say the non-important things. Fair. Uh, yeah. So part of the reason we forget what we did all week is because this last week was such a barn burner for news stories. From so. a legal perspective. Okay. Okay. That was my, my fault. That was, it was uh, your fault. Yeah. I'm the out double of interrupt. That is, uh, that is good. Uh, that 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 was my fault, but I will not forget this insult, Joe Patrice. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but this was a particularly fascinating week from a legal perspective, particularly if you're interested in DOJ subpoenas. Yeah. So the the week after we recorded the first, you know, after we recorded last week's episode, there was a search at Trump's residence. Uh, it. Turns out that there had been a sealed warrant to go uh, get some documents. Uh, you may remember they already had been a number of documents turned over to the government that were the sort of things that uh, people don't get to keep when they're not president So, anymore. yeah, so after he was unceremoniously kicked out of the White House, he took a bunch of crap with him. Okay, yeah, uh, that, that is what it seems happened. He does not have security clearance at this point. So some of that stuff he really shouldn't have. They're kind of arguing that he, by default, declassified anything he chose to take home with him, which is a dubious argument, but also one that that's all well and good, but they're not declassified anymore. So you he might have been okay to have them when he was president, but now they're classified and you have to turn them back over, which there already had been several documents turned over as part of what a normal process would be. Somebody, the, the government goes over, says, hey, you owe us all this stuff, and then they got it. Uh, what happened last week, though, is that somehow the FBI came into the knowledge that there was stuff that had not been turned over despite the fact that they'd already had this exchange. Uh, that is the sort of thing that in criminal circles... Uh, it, it, it seems the, willful. It's the kind of bad faith move that results in people actually going and getting warrants and then raiding your house as opposed to relying on you to voluntarily turn stuff over. So with that, we weren't going to hear anything about the warrant. Trump went on social media to complain about the search, at which point seemingly called the. Uh, we, we we called in Merrick Garland from uh, his slumber, and uh, Garland <laughs> decided to call the bluff and it was said, like the "Well, call that like actually we don't we summoned. don't yeah the, the Department of Justice does not comment on ongoing investigations, but and it likes to seal, dot dot dot, but, it, but. And, it, and it likes to seal these sorts of things for the purposes of protecting any suspect's rights, but when that suspect is making noise about it, it's out there. So Merrick Garland moved to unseal these warrants. Uh, that has been done. Uh, there is another warrant that is still under seal because it apparently was, was from some 
search that was not this Mar-a-Lago thing. So we don't know what that is, but the ones that addressed this search came out and what they reveal is that the Department of Justice is looking at violations of the Espionage Act, as well as destroying and evidence and obstruction and yeah. Yeah, that's not, you don't want to force people to learn how to spell espionage. You know, it's a little tricky. Yeah. It was an interesting week just from a, a legal perspective. Like, I, I just don't understand. I understand that he's burned through, uh, burned a lot of bridges with a lot of lawyers at this point. But you want somebody there who will prevent you from making the situation worse. And that seems to not be what he has. Trying to make a big deal out of this search as though it's not standard practice when somebody's held out on you, <laughs> held out on the government from an earlier request, going on TV and ranting about how unjust it is, is because the crux of that going on TV and ranting about how unjust it was, was of course, the logic was it was under seal, so nobody could see it, and the, gov- and the government wasn't going to unseal it, theoretically. Uh, at all times, Trump's team was able to tell the world what was in that warrant, but they didn't want to. They wanted to complain about it being unfounded, but not release it themselves, which was, you know, something of a red flag. And then Garland has done that. So that's where we sit now, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's very interesting. It was another case of the former president complaining about a typical process that happens to people all the time, but it's unfair because it's happening to him. And it's really, you know, sparked a ton of uh, right wing feelings about the FBI, none of them good. (laughs) So, you know, I, I think that you, you know, historically have associated the right wing with law enforcement, you know. But that appear that 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 pipeline appears to be broken. Yeah, they're they're full abolish the FBI at this point. So. Yeah, and this yeah, one, it, I thought these were the uh, he should have complied law. people whenever some yeah. armed yeah. kid gets murdered by a cop. Like what happened? Yeah. Now I've just fucked the Sh- FBI and the Department of Homeland Security. Should have complied. Yeah, no, it, it's almost as if it was never about compliance with the law to begin with. Uh, oh, interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it it really is weird how we've gotten to this point. And, you know, we've also had some law professors do uh, some... Not just any law professor. You're slow playing this, Joe. No, I mean, our, our our good buddies, Jonathan Turley and Alan Dershowitz, both went to the media and said incredibly stupid things that actually make you wonder. They're the sort of things that if you didn't know that they had law degrees would make you think they didn't have law degrees. Uh, it, it was that kind of failure to grasp basic principles of how the legal system works, uh, which is becoming a problem. I mean, when you have this sort of, you know, when you have the words law professor next to your name, you owe something of a public service to not play fast and loose with how the law actually works in these settings. And they... Yeah, I mean, the other part of that is is also that people who are actually trying to learn and to figure this out and perhaps aren't, haven't made decisions one way or the other or, or somehow avoided becoming partisan over the last four or five years. When you have that as the Chiron law professor, after I think there is an assumption, you know, it's an appeal to authority. There's a, an assumption about the accuracy of the things that they're saying or writing. And when it's obvious to lawyers that they are not being accurate, I think it really does the entire entire profession a disservice and particularly the schools that they are associated with. 
Yeah. I mean, I certainly would not want to be the dean of a school that those kind of people are associated with and just watching my school's name be plastered up on as somebody saying, I don't, I've never seen a search warrant executed like this. It's like, really? Well, but have you just never seen a search warrant? Is that that what you're saying? Just real bad. Why didn't the FBI call ahead and let them know? Yeah, because that's that's what we do with criminal investigations. <laughs> Why didn't you give us an lot. opportunity to destroy the evidence? Just, Come on now, that just that is, seems, that is that's not American. Literally a Dave Chappelle skit. Like I think it was like <laughs> the plead the fifth skit. Where he was like, yeah. hey, uh, we're going to come around and say, what's good for you? <laughs> yeah. And, and look, that sort, of, comical. that sort comical. of stuff does happen and indeed happened uh, for Trump and these documents back in January, uh, that sort of negotiated settlement. But when somebody's burned you on that, then it's unlikely the government's going to give you a second try. You know, listen, to- you're allowed to negotiate a, a settlement when you're talking about other items that that a president may have taken from the White House. But when you're talking about top secret documents, uh, there doesn't seem to be a ton of negotiation room where there shouldn't be. Yeah, it gets gets a lot harder there. But that's that's the big thing that's going on last week. It put us in the position of having to explain various statutes and how warrants work and so on to the audience as more and more stuff happened. And then we uh, made fun of some law professors. So... All in all, good time is happening. It was all in all a busy week. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. There's all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. Okay, so the uh, another thing that happened is uh, there's some ongoing issues in New York federal court. So we have a judge who has been on the court since the Clinton administration, He's supposed to take senior status. He's 85 years old, plans to take senior status. I not really retire, but, you know, cut down on the caseload. Sure. Uh, Given that this is his plan, his successor has been selected, nominated. Jorge Rodriguez, uh, obviously this, as, as you might imagine from the tenor of that name, this is a, you know, adds to the diversity of the federal bench, which has been a Biden administration Goal. goal that they've uh, been pretty good at. Yeah. So this is the plan. But Rodriguez is a, a practices a, an assistant in the Albany area. Judge Hurd, David Hurd, is a 
judge who is in the same district but chooses to sit in Utica. He has decided now that he's going to refuse to retire unless Biden puts somebody in Utica. This is, of course, really ironic, given that Judge Hurd was selected for his seat to sit in Albany, and he just ignored that and went to Utica. So it would actually be <laughs> bringing it back to where it was supposed to be all along if the replacement was in Albany. But has he given, besides just liking Utica, has he given any reasons why he feels that it's more important to have a federal judge in Utica I mean, rather of- than Albany? I mean, look, there's a lot of talk about how it, it's a long way away and it better serves the area. But I, the demographics of New York are changing. Cities like Utica are not what they were in 1930 or whatever. Sure. It probably should be consolidated in Albany. But even if that's whether that's true or not, this is not a call for a retiring judge. Uh, That's a call for the rest of the judiciary, for the executive branch who's making these nominations. Basically, everybody in this process has more of a role in making that call than a federal judge who is now holding up and potentially preventing a soon-to-be colleague from getting their job and a soon-to-be diverse colleague from getting their job because his ego does not want him to not help out the local legal market there. Uh, the I just want to be. Late, this wants to be yeah. a um, Marbury v. Yeah. Madison rehash so bad. Like, yeah, just, it, it, just move over. <laughs> Give the dude his mail. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, it, the latest on this is that there's some talk that Rodriguez has agreed to actually uproot his life and move the ninety miles over to Utica, which. If he has, good for him, but also something he should not be forced to do. Uh, one can only hope that he'd do that just until this guy retired. Short-term rental. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But but it's it's what I took away from it was the uh, uh, yet another. We talk a lot about the Supreme Court and how to make it see have more legitimacy and so on. And we've talked about term limits for active duty service that way. Uh, but this is another place where maybe the whole judiciary needs to have a moment where they say that, look, if you get this job, you are only going to be active duty for 18 years or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you're gone. And that you, you moved a senior, and that means we don't have judges who are, you know, hopped up on their own sense of superiority, screwing up the whole federal judiciary to meet their whims. Yeah. And, you know, the only good thing to come out of this conversation is like the more people hear about it, the more I think people come around that term limits is necessary. Uh, Not, you know, obviously they still have value they add to the judicial system and senior status judges continue to hear cases. But to keep the judiciary functioning, active duty should be on a clock so that we can reliably and predictably know that we're putting in a new person. All right. So, Catherine, you had a story last week that was... Yeah, it turns out, it turns out timekeeping billable hours can be worse. Mm. Didn't, didn't really think that, that that was possible, but there was a professor, Dr. Alan McRae, who was commissioned by a UK law society uh, to write a paper about... Uh, 
neurotechnology and the law. So uh, neurotechnology means it's some sort of a device uh, implanted or wearable that communicates your thoughts and or neural processes to some some device. So there's lots of medical reasons why they're, you know, to treat certain diseases, et cetera, where you need this kind of input. But in terms of what impact it might have in the legal profession, you know, we're talking minority report kind of shit. Well, you thought a bad thing, potentially. And, you know, that's that's probably sci-fi, hopefully. We'll see. Maybe, maybe it's a little uh maybe it's hubris to assume it's only sci-fi. But another part <laughs> Another part that I thought was interesting was McCray talked about the possibility of having these sorts of devices that not that monitor how much attention you're paying to certain billable matters so that clients may pressure law firms to not bill by the hour or the point, you know, six minute intervals, but instead by how much attention the attorney is paying, which like seems even more dystopian than just having to write down what every six you've done every six minutes of your life. You know, bar examiners recommend this. (laughs) (laughs) No one's recommending it. It is a theory that he has that this is the way that neural technology can work in the legal profession. And yeah. I mean, look, I I, I don't think there's any argument that something like that could potentially work uh, in the, their, will be things that can monitor whether your brain is engaged, yada, yada, yada. Sure. I just don't know as though I see it getting to the point of implementation. Uh, I understand the idea that clients are going to want something. Clients want more accuracy, yada, yada, yada. But what gets me is clients have wanted this for years. Uh, We've actually had the capacity for lots of discrete legal tasks. We have ample data and modeling to be able to say, here's a fixed fee. We aren't going to go billable hours. Here's a fixed fee for something. And clients, not universally, but but would generally see that as a better, more predictable way of dealing with le- hiring legal work. And we still don't do it because even though it might be something that a client wants, the law firms have been remarkably good about saying, yeah, but we refuse to do that. Uh, <laughs> and I think putting chips in partners' heads uh, is going to be that line that they're not going to want to cross. <laughs> I mean, that that seems legit, even if I think that perhaps the legal profession should move towards more alternative uh, methods of paying as opposed to the billable hour. But I mean, it's just like every time the Kit Kat theme song goes through your head, do you have to take off the amount of time that you've built? It's already hard enough. The amount of hours you have to be at work in front of your computer in order to bill, you know, your 2000, which, you know, is a kind of a typical number to get your full bonus is, is already substantially above 2000, right? Or it's bill 2000. You got to work more than 2000 hours. So if you're literally every time a lyric of some Metallica song goes through your head, that's it. You're, you know, you have to take that off. That just seems untenable and really, really troubling. Yeah. It would be funny though. If like, uh, if you look at your yearly review and your senior is like, yeah, you've worked like three weeks with St. Anger around your neck. You know, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) I understand that it's something that people may at some point in the future feel they want, but I just, I just can't imagine that, this profession that has held up all kinds of stupid traditions uh, just because they can is going to cave over the idea of being monitored 24-7. Yeah, and I mean, listen, 
lawyers are ha, have received the reputation of being Luddites that are resistant to change. Mm. This seems a bridge too far, even for people who want to be in the cutting edge of technology. So even for Joe. Mm. <laughs> Noted legal technology reporter yeah, Joe I mean, Patrice like, thinks that it's a bridge too far. <laughs> literally a legal tech reporter. Yeah, I, I, what I, I said. Yeah, no, I know. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's it's an interesting story though, and obviously there's some other legal aspects to it. Uh, given that uh, the Minority Report, to quote that story, it, it aspects that you mentioned, but sure, yeah, and, the and, billing is what they were also talking about in in the report. They also talked about things like giving enhanced capabilities to some folks as a result of these devices that were potentially implanted, and if we do create these superhumans, what kind of human rights attach, and what can we do? What should we? Yeah, it, it, it got into a lot of that, but again, I think the billable hour is the most relatable for the above the law audience. Yeah. Well, cool. All right. Uh, that seems like it. So we're going to return you to your daily schedule and uh, maybe no other major legal catastrophes involving nuclear codes befall us before the next week. You've just jinxed you know? it. That uh, is I mean, definitely going to yeah. happen. And uh, you can all blame Joe now. Yeah. So thanks. And for, John L. Trump. Yeah. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, you should be subscribed to the show to get the episodes when they come out. You should be you know, giving it reviews, stars, whatever, uh, certainly helps. Uh, you should be listening to the Jabot, which is Catherine's show, the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable I'm on. Uh, you should be reading Above the Law to see these and other stories throughout the week before we sit and gab about them here. You should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, the numeral one there. And Chris is at Rights for Rent. Uh, you should be listening to the other shows on the Legal Talk Network. And I guess with that, uh, one special programming note, which is the annual ILTACON convention is coming up. Uh, that means we're we're going to have a real hard time recording an episode next week, <laughs> given that we're kind of scattered to the winds. Uh, we'll certainly try, but uh, if you don't get a new episode downloaded, uh, that will be why. And we'll just come back and have a a lot of ILTA talk the week after. Peace. All right. And while this episode was not brought to you by KitKat, we do advise you to take a break. Burnout is real. <laughs> Fair. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a good week. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.